reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 1, starting at verse 19. John chapter 1, verse 19. John the Baptist denies being the Christ. Now this was the testimony of John when the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert, make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May these words of my mouth and these thoughts of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Ever since I was a young boy, I've been pretty obsessed with all things aeroplane. I'm a bit of an aviation geek, as it were, and when I was a teenager, I spent a lot of time flying planes, 
not, um, I need to add, actual planes, but flight simulator games on my computer. I don't know if you're familiar with them. You might have children or grandchildren who play them. But effectively, you pretend you're a pilot and you fly a plane on your computer as if it were a real thing. Without wishing to be too boastful, I think I was pretty good at it. I could do a whole transatlantic flight without really having to think much about it. I knew exactly what I was doing, and I clocked up the miles. I was a really good virtual pilot. But then one day in my early 20s, my friend, whose dad had his own plane, sat me down in the cockpit of it. And I realized very, very quickly in that moment what I was not. I was not a pilot. What was needed to fly that plane was someone who knew how to fly it, a pilot. And I was definitely not that. In this series on rediscovering Jesus, we're asking ourselves during Lent as we head towards Easter, perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the hundredth time, who is Jesus? Who is this man who divides history and who calls us to follow him? If you were here last week, you'll have known we looked at the light of life, Jesus as light. And this week, we're looking at Jesus, the Lamb of God. What does it mean to call Jesus the Lamb of God? And when we know what it is we're talking about when we call Jesus the Lamb of God, what might that actually mean for us? How does it change how we live our lives tomorrow, next week, next month? And we're looking at it within this amazing passage from the beginning of John's Gospel. This encounter between John the Baptist and Jesus. And I think within this passage are two simple but profound things we can learn. Two things that really help us to see Jesus as the Lamb of God and understand our response to that. Those two things, I think, are this. Firstly, John the Baptist knew exactly who he wasn't. John the Baptist knew exactly who he wasn't. But secondly, he knew exactly who Jesus was. John the Baptist was undoubtedly an unusual chap. He'd committed to living a life dedicated to God, and it was a life that ended up with him living in the desert, eating locusts and honey. He certainly wouldn't have been number one choice to a dinner party, but John the Baptist was faithful. And he was sent, he was commissioned by God to do one thing, to point people to Jesus. We read where we pick up this story in John's Gospel. That word has begun to spread of John the Baptist's ministry. Verse 19 tells us that priests and Levites are sent, are dispatched to find out who he is. John has been causing a stir and the authorities want and need to know what's going on. And as someone proclaiming good news and calling others to repentance, John had all the hallmarks of a prophet, all the hallmarks, perhaps, of the Messiah. And for a Jewish culture that was steeped in prophecy and hope of future redemption... It's perhaps not surprising that people suspected that John the Baptist might just be the one that they were looking for. They were crying out for a rescuer, and could this unkempt man from the desert be the hope of Israel? 
It would have been so easy for John to pretend just for a moment to revel in the adulation and the questions he was getting, to act as if he were the one that they were longing for. But note just how adamant John is that he is not the one that they are looking for. Three times he makes it clear who he is not. I am not the Messiah, he says. I'm not Elijah. I'm not the prophet. John makes it absolutely clear that no, he's not the one they're looking for. But he is pointing the way to the one they are looking for. In his own words, he is making straight the way for the Lord. John knew who he was not. But what about us? So often, I think the reality is that deep down, we still believe that we can be the answer to our own problems and the problems of those around us. That may well be for us on a personal level. We know things within us aren't right. We know we're broken. We know our lives aren't as they should be. And therefore, we reckon that if we just work a little harder, earn a little more, become a little bit more popular, that we can resolve those problems, that we can fix the brokenness that is within us. And as much as it's true individually, it's also true on a bigger scale. After all, it seems to me pretty clear that this is how the world now works. In the West, at least, our economy and our social structures are built on these principles of self-achievement, of self-success. The more money you make, we are told, the happier you will be. And those of us who follow Jesus are not immune to this either. Despite the fact that we gather every week like this to sing, to read, to pray to share with one another those stories of God's love and grace and sufficiency. I wonder whether we truly believe it enough to let it change the course of our lives. Do we really live from a place of trusting that God will provide for us, that he is enough, that he has forgiven us? I'm not saying we intentionally dismiss these things or actively seek to contradict them. I think we really want them to be true. But I suspect that for lots of us, deep down, we still believe that we can be the answer to our own problems. We still believe we can save ourselves. And I think it's true for many of us because I know it is true for me I know how easy it is to live from that place, believing that if only I could preach a little better, have more money, live my life a little better, if I could get those things in order, then all the problems and weaknesses in my life might just go away. The reality is, that's never going to work. We cannot sort out our own brokenness. Yes, money may sort out some issues. Success may bring us some happiness. But when it comes to living life in all its fullness, living as we were created and designed to live, we simply cannot get there on our own. And the reason we can't get there on our own is because the relationship between us and God is broken. It's been broken ever since sin and death crept into the world in the Garden of Eden. 
Sin has tarnished that relationship, and it means we end up living lives more often than not running from God rather than to him. We don't live the way we were made to, and the fact is that sinners cannot take away sin. John the Baptist recognized this, and crucially, he knew who he was not. He knew he was not the one who could restore the relationship with God. He knew he was not the one who could do what it would take to pay the price for our sins and to lead us home to the Father. John knew his human weakness. He knew he could not rescue himself, let alone rescue others. He knew that he needed to be rescued. Rescued by who? By Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's what John declares when he sees Jesus approaching in verse 29. Here he comes, he's saying, this is the one. Because we aren't steeped in Jewish culture and prophetic story, it takes us more work to really get what John means when he says, here comes the Lamb of God. When John declared Jesus as Lamb, it would have blown Jewish minds Because Israel's consciousness was filled, was dripping with the idea of the sacrificial lamb. It's found way back in Genesis 22, that famous story of Abraham and Isaac, where at the last minute God provides a ram for the sacrifice in place of Isaac. You may well know the story of the Passover in Exodus 12, where the Israelites are commanded to slaughter a lamb and then put the blood of that lamb on their door frames, sparing them from death. In Jeremiah 11, there's reference to the gentle lamb. In Isaiah 53, reference to the suffering servant lamb. All of which is to say that the Old Testament is saturated, rich with the idea of a sacrificial lamb. And all of those moments of reference to the sacrificial lamb pointed to the hope that God would one day provide this lamb to pay the ultimate price and offer the ultimate sacrifice in order to once and for all restore the relationship between humanity and God. So when John calls Jesus the Lamb of God, when he declares that over him, he is making it abundantly and radically clear that Jesus is this lamb. This is him, he is saying. This is the one who will finally do what it takes And restore the broken relationship between God and his children. Jesus is the one who can do what none of us could ever do. Jesus, the son of God, is the one who goes to the cross in our place. Who dies that most brutal of deaths. And yet conquers the grave, defeating death once and for all. Jesus is the one who dies like a slaughtered sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the only one who can rescue us. Why? Because Jesus took upon himself the death we deserved. Jesus, the sinless son of God, come down to live among us, hung in our place, and bore the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. And he died so that we might live. Look, John says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
In many ways, these short words sum up the essence of the gospel. They capture the mission and ministry of Jesus. And as it was for John, when we recognize that Jesus is the Lamb of God, it should completely alter the course of our lives. Because when we really come to see what we are not, who we are not, and at the same time when we really come to see who Jesus is and what he has done for us, that should change us. Having our eyes opened to that reality should transform us into people who recognize their brokenness, who recognize their need for a rescuer, and at the same time rejoice in the fact that that rescuer has come in the person of Jesus Christ. It means we no longer need to feel the pressure to rescue ourselves. We know that we are saved, redeemed, and forgiven by Jesus, the Lamb of God. It means that we are free from guilt, that while we still recognize and grieve and confess our sins, we know that the price has been paid. It means our lives should look like John the Baptist's, pointing not to ourselves and to our strengths, but to Jesus and what he has done for us. John declared that he was not worthy even to untie the straps of Jesus' sandals. That declaration is a step into freedom. We no longer have to do this all ourselves. It has been done for us. We, therefore, as God's children, are free to live in abundance and fullness of life, free to live the way of life we were designed and created for, a way of life brought for us on the cross by the Lamb of God. The question for us then is this, do we know Jesus to be the Lamb of God? That means becoming aware of who we are not in order that we might better know who he is. It means letting go of who we are to let the Lamb of God rule in our hearts and transform our lives. It means coming back again and again as we're doing during this Lenten season to remember and on Easter Sunday rejoice in what he has done for us. Ultimately, it means bowing down before him and declaring that he and he alone is truly the Lamb of God, the Lamb who came to take away the sins of the world, the sins of you and the sins of me. Our response is to sing and to declare, worthy is the Lamb, for he was slain for us. Worthy is the Lamb, for he was slain for us. Who is this Lamb? The Lamb is Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Amen.